alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to Ashura Reflections. Today's episode is on Ashura and society. Today we are very much concerned with how we, going back, can take from the stand of Abu Abdullah from the uprising useful and practical tips for how to live in our society. We want to understand Imam Hussein in his society and why he had to go on that fateful journey to Karbala. But also in the process of that journey, how can we take certain lessons which we can apply for our lives today, especially when it comes to social activism, what movement should we join, what stances should we take, and all these issues which come from being a Husseini person today. Now we are joined by uh, some amazing guests today. First we have Sheikh Fayaz Jafar, uh, the assistant chaplain um, and resident at NYU. Um, his work uh, in community activism and especially in leadership in the New York community and in America generally is, is there to be admired. And similarly across the pond we have Sheikh Jafar Ladakh, um, who is, a, is currently the resident at Stanmore Hujjat and also an author of multiple books including one on Yemen, uh, a very important text that we should be sharing. And accompanying our two dear scholars is brother Neil Nasser. Neil, being an activist, a volunteer for Hus Hussein and many charitable causes, um, and a person who represents a very practical uh, approach to, to solving social issues using Islam. These are great guests, which is good because my mic is not great in this episode and does cut at many moments. And so the only apology I can give to you is caveated with reassurance that in the place of my voice, we have three amazing uh, individuals. So that's episode today, Ashura and society. Let's see what we have. Okay, so before we can discuss the social effects uh, of Ashura to our contemporary society, it makes sense to know why Ashura was necessary in that society. So what were the contemporary social reasons, the, the environment in which Abu Abdullah was living and Ahl al-Bayt were, were living in, which led to this event? using society, how do we understand why this had to happen before we can extract from our shura uh, threads of guidance for our own society? So bearing that in mind uh, to all of the guests, how would you chart and understand the contemporary social environment before our shura? What was it like? Sheikh Bayaz, Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. I think it's a really important uh, question. Um, and it really requires sort of an understanding, not only of, you know, the days or the weeks or the months or even the years leading up to, you know, the rise and the stand of Imam Hussain, but really sort of understanding contextually um, that which preceded um, during the time of the Prophet, right? We're talking about a community and a religion that was espousing value, right? The Prophet, when he comes and speaks to his uh, community and he preaches in Mecca, later in Medina, he builds this community on a foundation of values, that of mercy, that of justice, that of compassion, that of love, that of beauty, and really eradicating, you know, the strands of the age of ignorance that we see, which preceded the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So there was an emphasis on family values. There was an emphasis on forgiveness. There's an emphasis on compassion. There's an emphasis on patience. There's an emphasis on generosity on emphasis on community, on, um, you know, supporting the most vulnerable. I often say that when you take a look at the life of the messenger, وسلم, there are three groups of people um, that were quickly attracted to the message of Islam. Um, the first group were the poor, the second were slaves, and the third were women. And if you take a look, not much has changed in terms of the most vulnerable in our communities or the most isolated within our communities. It's going to be those who are um, financially struggling, uh, women, 
enslaved when we talk about even the contemporary meaning of slavery. Um, so when you see that the Prophet والسلام, he comes uh, with making these reformations for often the most vulnerable, the most isolated within their respective community, we fast forward 50 years later and that value-based system is no longer present. So we have a community that's now um, drowning in uh, materialism, uh, that's now drowning in wealth, that's now drowning in power, that's now seeking authority, that's so far distant from sort of the Quranic ethos, the prophetic ethos, uh, in which he speaks toward a value-based community. Thus the Imam والسلام, says that now we need to make sure that we are enjoining good and forbidding evil in this community and reconciling the affairs of the community of my grandfather, the messenger of God, and my father, Amir al-Mu'mineen, how can we bring it back toward that time period? Not that time period historically, because as we know, times and civilization and uh, you know, uh, the society evolves. But when we talk about how do we bring back and start to manifest and illuminate those important values as preached and as taught by the Quran and by the Messenger So clearly at the time Abu Abdullah he sees the society he sees the structures of ignorance as you mentioned and he sees a community um, which their needs are not being met by the way that the society is developed um, Sheikh Jafar, how does Imam Hussein look at that society his words and his thoughts how does he interpret his environment? I think what uh, Sheikh Fayyad has um, touched upon illuminates for us what Abba Abdullah was trying to then revert the community back to. If you look within the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the Arab communities in, in such detail about the challenges that they were going through during their period of uh, Jahiliyyah. So, of course, the Arab societies were made up of the polytheists, made up of the um, atheists, and also made up of the Abrahamic faiths and the various sects that were within them. And you could see within them, there was this, the way in which they were living, it was like they were living in a state of being drunkard. They were fearful of everybody and everything. They were constantly fighting with each other. Sheikh Bayad mentioned that Prophet came and put values into them. Quran describes, for example, how they were living. You'll see those in whose hearts there is a disease, hastening to associating things with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they just, they just live in a state of weakness. They would say things like, we're afraid of misfortunes falling upon the, on us. So they lived a life which was completely against the culture of Islam. And that had become so rooted and embedded in them. And of course, to shake them awake from that and to change a civilization over the span of 23 years, this is something that the Prophet ﷺ was able to do. 50 years after the death of the Prophet you find the grandson of the Prophet has to rise up and create a movement across those very same lands all the way from the Levant down towards Yemen and try to be able to re-inspire 
the same values that the Prophet had brought some 50 years, 60 years earlier. So then you asked, what is it kind of in the words of Imam السلام, himself, in his own mantra, in his own movement, that he expressed that goes back to the values of the Prophet And when Imam al-Hussain leaves um, the city of Medina for the last time, he describes his mission statement. Famously, he says, "Inni lam akhruj ashiran, wala batiran, wala mufsidan, wala zalima, wa inna ma kharajtu li talab al-islah fi ummati jaddi sallallahu alaihi wa alihi." I have not risen up against Yazid for wickedness, nor for fun or amusement, nor for you know seeking corruption in the community or for oppression. I'm rising up to reform the Muslim community back to the time of my grandfather Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So when he first describes his mission statement, he gives us four qualities, four features that he has to negate himself against. He has to say, I'm not rising up for these things, for wickedness, amusement, corruption, and oppression. Why would he have to mention these four things? Well, of course, from the latter generations, when they look back, they may then try to identify the movement of Imam through these. But at the very time he needed to express, these were the values that had crept into his society. Wickedness, amusement, corruption, and oppression. I'm not rising for any of those things. So the Prophet had taken the community on a journey over 23 years, and then for the subsequent 50 years, there had been a systemic dismantling of all of the value systems that the Prophet had put in, like Sheikh Fiyad had mentioned, the values with women, the values towards the oppressed, values towards the slaves, values in building a civilization. This had been dismantled year upon year upon year. And that's why Imam al-Hussain has to describe in his own words, I'm not rising up for the reasons that you've once again become associated into a normalized understanding of society. I'm rising to reform, to bring it back to the time of my grandfather, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. This point about it being systemic is very important because uh, the social norms which you mentioned is what had become corrupted, what was considered normal and appropriate behavior for someone being a Muslim living in the home of the Holy Prophet. Um, uh, Sheikh Fayyaz, bearing that in mind, do you think the nature of Ashura, the violence and the, the warfare, do you think all these things come from having to manifest a hidden systemic uh, problem? What is the reason why it had to be warfare in the society? Why not peace treaty? Why not anything other than the actual moment of Ashura? Yeah, it's a, another, another good question. I think it's also something that a lot of people reflect, uh, reflect upon and ask and sort of even maybe utilize it to, to sort of bring, bring about some doubt. But I think, again, kind of understanding contextually that the corruption um, that we see uh, in that, you know, socio-political time frame had virtually reached a point of no return, right? So many times, you know, when you take a look at the history of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salatu wasalam, you see that numerous times from when he was in Medina, like Sheikh Jafar mentioned, to when he was in Mecca, to the entire journey leading up to Karbara, he would often speak about how now there is no other, like there's no other route. This is the only way. And you see that, you know, 10 years prior to Imam al-Hassan approximately you know, signs this treaty with Muawiyah. Things don't necessarily change in that way. 
over here now we have meaning that there was there was not this awakening in the community there was in some pockets but not you know throughout the larger muslim community as was desired um, by imam al-hussein when he starts to make his stance and numerous times again he mentions uh imam al-hussein that you know there is no other outlet like in this in this way right this is this is the path that you know we have we have reached and i want you to understand also taking a look at you know historically the 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 the, the foundation of this religion um and the and again like the ethos by which the prophet preaches sallallahu alaihi wasallam as we know also rests on the back of you know um, Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali alayhi salatu wasalam, right? And understanding that we're talking 50 years later. This is the man who is, you know, the uh, victor at Badr, at Uhud, at Khandaq, at Khaybar, at Safin, at Nahrawan, at Jamal. He is that man who always stood by the messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in quality and in character and in merit, no one compares to Ali. Uh, from amongst the companions of the Messenger of God, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and by this time, his name was being cursed, you know, in pulpits all across, you know, the Muslim world. Um, so when you talk about the legacy of the Prophet and the legacy of the Quran and the legacy of the family, there was no other way to allow for this awakening to take place other than the route and the steps that Imam Al Hussein alayhi salatu wasallam took. Now, both of you refer to. Um, the nature of the Qawm at the time, both in referring to the pulpits being used across the Ummah, and as Sheikh Jafar mentioned, the Levian going as far as, uh, as far, that far west in the community. So it seems like what Imam Hussein does needs to reflect or needs to affect the entire larger community. And that implies that in his decision making, he's thinking of the entire society and not just Medina or Mecca, but the entire implications of the region. I didn't hear the question as well. Sheikh Fayyad, do you want to? Reply first. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Abbas, to your point about whether or not Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam's stride was also to potentially make a larger social impact, right? That's, that's kind of how the way I'm understanding it. Exactly. I think absolutely, right? You know, and, 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 and the words that Sheikh Jafar mentioned, the words of Imam al-Hussein, inni lam akhruj ashran wala batran wala mufsadan wala zaliman, demonstrate that just that. It demonstrates just that. Innama kharajtu lit-talab al-islah that I'm seeking one thing. I'm seeking a reform, a societal, communal, spiritual, ethical reform in the community of my grandfather, the messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If he wasn't seeking this reform, this social reform, but again, I'll also throw this out, as much as you know, the title of this episode you know, has the word society in it, and we're seeking to sort of understanding the societal dynamics of Ashura and how that manifests in the contemporary lens today, you know, what we never want to remove from the equation is also sort of the spiritual dimension um, of Ashura. It's Imam al-Hussein seeking societal reform so that we put God back in the equation. You know what I'm saying? So it's as much as the lessons that we learn from Imam al-Hussein in terms of practical, you know, uh, impact, when you remove God from the equation, it's just, you know, good deeds, you know, or good actions. When you put God in the equation, it's something that draws you closer toward our ultimate objective. So when we see Imam al-Hussein and we see the companions of Imam al-Hussein and we see his family members and we see his women and we hear these anecdotes and we read the history 
and you're so drawn to these personalities, what allows them to reach that height and to reach that level? It's because the only thing that they saw was God on the 10th of Muharram. The only thing that they saw was God in that entire process, you know, of leaving Medina to going to Mecca, leaving Mecca, stopping in all of those journeys, being a small band, standing in front of 30,000 people, the young and the old, the children, even they, the only thing that they saw was God. One of the um, generals of the army is narrated in one of the, uh, um, one of the um, literature, one of the Maqata literature. It states that when Imam al-Hussein had lost everyone when he was fighting the enemy, he calls out to his army, meaning from the Umayyads, from the army of Umar bin Sa'ad, says, Look at this man. Death is not something on his mind. Why? Because the only thing that he saw was God. So ethical, sorry, excuse me, social reform without a doubt. But because God was lost in the equation and that we derive from the words of the Imam alayhi salatu wasalam, we talked about before, that the ethos of the prophetic community was based on values, values, of course, with God, right? Um, and that's kind of what we always want to go back to in this sort of larger conversation. Ahsan, Sheikh Jafar, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think now I got it. So thank you so much, Sheikh, for to kind of like... You got it, no worries, I got your back. Like that through for me. Um, you know, the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the ummah of the mu'mineen, it's one ummah, right? Inna hadihi ummatukum ummatan wahida. Verily, your community or this community of yours is one single ummah. But then immediately, this, the, the conclusion of the verse, وَأَنَا رَبُّكُمْ فَعْبُدُونَ So, since I am your Lord, all of you, then you should worship me alone, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. So there's clearly a relationship between A, having a united community and B, being able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because once the community is broken, it becomes difficult from the societal, societal perspective to be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to your optimum. You asked about the movement of Imam al-Hussain alayhi salam being inclusive and not just focused, say, for example, on the geographical regions of Mecca and Medina, where he lived and where he had to break his hajj, right? If you think about the geography of the Muslim Ummah, at that time, you can break it into certain parts. You might say, for example, on the southern tip of Arabia, you've got Yemen, which is very much a, a stronghold for Ahlul Bayt alayhi wasalam. Mecca and Medina has gone through a turmoil and, um, you know, people like Abdullah bin Zubair and, um, uh, Abdullah bin Umar, they have gained a stronghold, a footing there within those particular areas. But then as you go further north, then for example, you've got the Levant. And as we know, Banu Umayyah very much took over the Levant, right? Syria became a stronghold for Banu Umayyah. And then as you go further afield into places like Egypt, where previously under the time of Imam Ali alayhi salam, you did have a bit of a stronghold with people like um, uh, Malik al-Ashtar. So what you're finding is that the Muslim Ummah has actually been broken into pieces. And one of the main tasks of Imam al Hussein alayhi salam is to try to reunite the community as it was under the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. Factions are now being created and as a result of the factions that have been created, blood is being shed. If you want to be able to return the Ummah to that of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, it has to be Ummatan Wahida. That has to be the starting point 
of being able to unite a community under one banner and not under disparate banners. As the Quran says, Inna hadihi ummatukum ummatan wahida wa ana rabbukum fa'abudun. Sheikh Fayyad mentions like on the day of Ashura and you can hear the, the, the sermons or the statements of Imam al-Hussain across this time as Sheikh Fayyad alluded to. At one point, Imam even says, look, let me leave from this land, right? Let me go towards Hind. He's not seeking to create war. He's seeking to be able to bring people together under one banner of what it's supposed to be. That's the central or one of the central ethos of uh, the Islamic Ijtima'iyah or the whole system of, uh, or, or a social system in the idea of Islam, the unity that has to be there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the slogan of those people who are coming together as being akhlaq, as being the, the pinnacle of character, as being what underlines bringing a community together. The Quran says, Sibratallahi wa man ahsanu min Allahi sibgha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, the, the distinguishing quality is to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? As Sheikh Fayyad just said, you can have all the a'mal you want, but when you disconnect it from God consciousness and servitude of God, the value is, it's devoid of the proper value, sibghat Allah. Right? So the real distinguishing quality is being with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ مِنَ اللَّهِ sibgha. And who could give a better distinguishing quality to your life, to your purpose, other than that distinguishing quality of the akhlaq that you have with Allah? And Allah is He who we truly worship. So again, the whole concept of the worship of Allah is again related to the ijtima'iyya of Islamic society. Imam al-Hussain's movement, if you notice, it's so spectacular. He moves from Medina to Mecca. He then sends his ambassador, Muslim ibn Aqil, all the way to Iraq. He's then trying to bring wider regions together under one banner because there is one part of the ummah that is really breaking away, and that's the Levant, that's Syria. So you need to be able to bring those people together. From the social perspective of Islam, Imam al-Hussain's vision was very much to unite people. Um, and the only way you and I can really relive the message of Imam al-Hussain is if we understand that strategy of his and that was underlining the unity of the Muslim Ummah as well. It appears then that we've come to some sort of understanding where Imam al-Hussain's strategy was to use God consciousness as a way to unify the Ummah, particularly those from oppressed groups within the Ummah. We mentioned women, um, slaves and others who were you who were attracted to this message but unity really is the the real ethos of that movement that would imply then that the, the community today must also be unified using Imam al-Hussein as a source of uh, societal unity so bearing that in mind have you, have you seen today people using these principles to unify themselves is it working did that mission of Ashura actually lead to unity amongst us today I see um, several groups that take the message of Imam Hussain and use the principles, the universal values of the Imam. In fact, the universal values of his grandfather, the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, as where they derive from through Imam Hussein, through charities such as Hussein or other charities that are on the ground, taking those values to help humanity, to stand up against oppression. 
to stand up for love and for forgiveness, for honor, to encompass diversity with the recent movement with Black Lives Matter. You know, uh, I saw a, a great procession going on uh, in America and the procession was, was marching for Black Lives Matter and showing that we stand together and what better than seeing the, the flag of uh, Imam Hussain through that procession. What, just one example that I can give you where you see it across a range of different groups, different people and different causes that are using these universal unified values to stand up against the injustices that are going on in humanity, to, to help educate people. We, we know people that go into schools, into madrasas, into, into mosques, into even non-Islamic settings, using some of these principles and some of these values to show people where they derive from. And using some of those values where people such as historical figures that some people will actually know of, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, Mandela, using images like the image in Tiananmen Square, which most people, maybe my generation, maybe not younger, could remember that image of that one sole person standing up in front of the tank, using images like that, that are modern images that people can relate to. And then we can use examples where the war was in Berlin was broken down between East and West Germany. So revolutions were formed be off the back of this message where people read about the stance on uh, the 10th of, uh, of Muharram uh, during Ashura, read about the stance of Imam Hussain and the Prophet peace be upon him, learnt how to put that into modern day society. So some of the work that we do right now in London with 8,000 homeless people, we go out and feed the homeless in the name of uh, Imam Hussain Why do we do that? Uh, to me, there's no greater value than seeing a smile on a face. What other, well, I know I'm doing it for the greater good of humanity and I understand the values of Imam Hussein, but for me, it's when you turn up and you feed somebody who's hungry and they say, ah, you're with Hussein, you're with Hussein. And I say, yes, I'm with Hussein. And you stand for five minutes and tell somebody about this great man and teach somebody about this great man. So in answer to that question, uh, Haji Abbas, Definitely, 100%. There are people taking these values all around the world and trying to change society, trying to help humanity and to stand up for the greater good and against the oppression that's going on in the world. Asantum, brother. Asantum. You have actually given um, a number of examples, but let me draw attention to one, the example of Black Lives Matter. So here we have one amongst many contemporary social movements in which as a Muslim, you're compelled to want to support them and support the principles behind them because we have our own traditions which speak about arguing against racism and, and the principles of against uh, injustice and, and for, for the oppressed. But what about Abba Abdullah specifically? Like, do we use his message to choose which movements do we support today? Which ones do we not support today? What is the relationship for the modern Muslim today in using Ashura to know what stances they should take? I want to go to Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Fayaz because I know that in New York right now, in the current role that you have, you are overseeing as a, as a leader there, movements which people are joining and not joining. And one must know, how do I use Abba Abdullah to decide which movements are from him and which movements perhaps are not? Um, I think, you know, we go back to the sort of the central sort of focal 
point of, of, of the conversation. Um, and that is sort of, you know, around, around, around this notion of values. So when we take a look at the myriad of injustices that we're seeing here, where I'm speaking to you from in New York City, um, where we're seeing, you know, the systemic racism manifest on a sort of a daily basis. We're seeing police brutality, not much different, by the way, than it was, you know, three months ago or six months ago or three years ago or 10 years ago. It just caught a different sort of media attention nowadays. Right. When we go back, it's about not sort of jumping on a bandwagon and seeing that everyone else is protesting. So now is my opportunity. It's about consistent, being consistent in supporting those who are most vulnerable in our populations and in our communities. When you take a look at the sort of, again, manifestation of injustices that we are seeing right here locally, you know, in our communities, you have to just sit back and don't spend too much time, but just ponder and wonder what would, you know, my masters, what would my teachers, what my guys, what would my leaders, meaning the Imam of the Bayt, Imam Hussein, Hussain, where would they be standing sort of on these? And naturally they would be at the forefront. They would be at the forefront of demanding change. They would be at the forefront of gathering and rallying people. And I think that, you know, our definition and our version of what it means to honor Imam Hussein, Hussain is so internalized to how I feel in my heart and how I preach the message to my community that we forget about his dynamic nature that it needs to sort of take a role and like, you know, you know, do the meaningful work that Neil is doing like on the streets, you know, of London. Um, and that's not in a sort of with the intention to like proselytize and to get people to all of a sudden like convert and say, oh, look at Imam Hussein, we need to like be his follower. But it's about espousing those values and letting people like make their decisions in their own life. It's more about my identity and about my ideology and about what I have taken for Imam Hussein, taken from Imam Hussein Hussain to share to the world, not because I want to share it with them because I want them to convert, but because it's a responsibility then. More, more than you know, knowing, um, and you know, and not doing. If there's a there's, there's a really, what I'm trying to say is that sorry, take one step back. There's a greater responsibility for the one who knows and doesn't do. So I know Imam Hussein Ali Salam, and I weep for Imam Hussein Ali Salam, and I make ziyarat to Imam Hussein Ali Salam, and I beat my chest for him, and I distribute food for him, and I recite majlis for him, and I recite poetry, and all of these things. That's great. Now, there's also a dynamic nature to how the ritual has to be sort of manifested and brought to the streets, right? Such, such how can that be something that is universally transmitted in a way that's not only to ourselves? And I think that this is, I don't want to say it's where we've failed, but it's where we need to do more work because we clearly haven't failed because we have, you know, you know angelic personalities in this world like Neil, right? We're going and doing that every single day. And what is it going to take for our community, all of us, to walk in those footsteps? It's a lot easier for me to stand behind my microphone and live in my ivory tower and preach and no one criticizes me. It's a lot more difficult for me to get out and go and sleep on the streets for days at a time. And you know, being the one who's distributing food uh, in, the, in the dark and the cold winters, you know? And do, again, doing that, and again, that work is prophetic. That work is Husseini, you know what I'm saying? 
Um, and that's where we need to take our message and take this inspiration um, that we gain from Mamad Hussein and from Karbara and from Ashura. So beautiful. Sheikh Jafar, I know that you have, uh, especially in your series on an Islamic theory of Bearing in mind what Sheikh Fayaz just said, how would, you, how would you add to that in terms of the modern activists today using Imam al-Hussein and the values of that time? The first thing I would want to say is that, uh, you know, there's no way anyone could criticize Sheikh Fayaz. Um, so, you know, that's okay. But uh, also I concur, Neil is like an angel walking on this earth. <laughs> Um, you know, w w when the Quran speaks of society, it links man to God and then man to man, right? So you have the upward and then you have the, you have the vertical relationship and then you have the horizontal relationship. And this is mentioned in the Quran together, right? In the same verse. For example, in Surah Ra'ad, chapter number 13 of the Quran, verse number 20, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, I'm going to come back to this verses in a little while, inshallah. But Allah says, There are those who fulfill the covenant with Allah. Right? So that's the vertical. They have wafa, they have loyalty to the ahad of Allah. And in the same ayah, And they do not break the mithaq, the contract. The mithaq is different to the ahad. The ahad is with Allah. What is the mithaq? Between people. It's between society. Individuals and collectives. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse that there is always a, uh, an ahad that you have with Allah and there's always an ahad that you have with people. There is no way for you to truly serve Allah without serving the people. So for example, we have many ahadith that speak about this. For example, you know, we have a hadith where um, Ahl al-Bayt will say, uh, for example, nas nas. You know, the, the most preferable of people in the eyes of Allah is the one who is most beneficial to people, like Neil, rather than someone like me who sits, as Sheikh Fayyad mentioned, in my ivory tower preaching. But to prove you are beneficial to people is actually where the worth of the individual sits. Or, for example, you know, you have the hadith where Ahl al-Bayt say, uh, you know, the one who has not thanked the people has not thanked Allah. And as you know, in Islamic ethics, thanking is actually gratitude. You know, it's a genuine appreciation for what someone does for you. So if you don't thank people, if you're not grateful to everyone else in society, you're not really grateful to Allah. So it's important to know that from a social perspective, there is always this relationship outwards as well as the relationship side to side. This is the introductory point. But going on from this, as Sheikh Fayyad mentioned earlier on, I think in this, the first point that he made, is that without belief in Allah, Jalla Jalaluhu, actions remain actions. They can be good. They're not necessarily neutral, but they don't fulfill the potential that they have. They can never fulfill the potential that they have. Any corruption that happens in a society is due to a lack of faith in Allah and the hereafter. This is really important to understand. When the tajir, the business person, has a lack of faith in Allah or in the hereafter, yani accounting, the hisab that he has upon him, he goes towards, uh, like the Quran says, 
woe be upon those who are the, the cheaters in their uh, business. Or for example, the factory worker, the amil, he won't work hard, he won't fulfill his responsibility. The muwaddaf, or the person who is responsible in civil society, he will allow corruptions to come in across the border. The alim is the same. When they, a person, whatever extent that they lack in faith, that amount will be filled with corruption. So from the Islamic perspective, each sifa that a society has to have is connected with one another. A society that is blossoming needs to have adil, needs to have ihsan, needs to have sabr, needs to have prudence. All of these things are manvuma mutakamila. They're a, a system which works off the back of each other to provide a holistic system. In the same way, corruptions feed corruptions, which feed more corruptions. They all work with each other. So for us to be able to create the holistic society, there needs to be the ahad with Allah that is being fulfilled. And then there needs to be the ahad with each other, which is being fulfilled. And that when we do one element of the ahad with each other, this should lead on to the other in order to create the manzuma mutakamila, a complete system of living within the society. There's no point in having us having one part of the manzuma, the system that we're supposed to be living in, this nizam, uh, you know, such as the majalis al Husseiniyah, without the type of work that Neil does. Because it's not mutakamila, it's not complete, it's not, re, it's not re, you know, resonating one off the other. So in these verses I mentioned to you earlier on from Surah Ra'ad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to us, uh, you know, uh, in these verses I, I mentioned in Surah Ra'ad verse number 19, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. أَفَمَنْ يَعْلَمُ أَنَّمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ الْحَقُّ كَمَنْ هُوَ أَعْمَى Is he who knows what has been revealed to you from your Lord. He knows this is haq, this is truth. Is he the same as the one who is blind? كَمَنْ هُوَ أَعْمَى Are these two people the same? One who fulfills and one who doesn't fulfill, the one who knows and the one who doesn't know. إِنَّمَا يَتَذَكَّرُ أُلُوا الْأَلْبَابِ They will only be reminded who are the people of understanding. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us who are the people with true understanding of haq. Those who are not blind. They fulfill the contract with Allah, which is the upward, the vertical. And they do not break the contract with people as well. So you always have to connect serve, uh, you know, the remembrance of Allah and Ahlul Bayt with service to people. And once you think about the needs of others, that is when the Society does not end. And when I say end, I mean be destroyed. I mean it flourishes because you are looking after the needs of the people. This is how the Husseini Majlis comes alive, not just through the tears and the matam and then handing out the bajia and the chai at the end of it. It's what Neil does, it's actually applying what you have learnt in the story of Imam al Hussein. I think that society um, within, our, within our faith groups needs to be more practical, it needs to be more practical believers. Because coming to the faith, the only thing I get from the faith is a book of instructions from the Ahlul and from the Quran. When I sit and I hear that the holy Imams, the Salams, they, they would worship during the day, continuously pray, and in the dead of night go and feed people. So much so that when they're having their ghusl, you can see scars on their back from when they carried the grain. They would pass away and the orphans would cry, who's going to feed me now? So this is where, where I get it from. I've listened to these two respected sheikhs who are my teachers and thank you for teaching me. 
But what I hear from your majalis, from your teachings, what I read from the Quran is to be a practical Muslim. I have been, I have not been of the faith all my life, but I have stood out there and helped humanity throughout my whole life. I work in social housing for a, a number of years and I won't say how long because I'll give away my age. But what Islam has done for me is give me purpose, knowing that this is the true path, knowing that this is what we should be doing practically serving people when we go to the uh the masjid in, in ramadan and everybody's sitting down waiting for that one moment for the azan to be to be uh recited and everybody starts you know almost opening their mouths and um, stuffing away food and drinking water without a thought to what's going into their mouth without a thought about anybody else that's that's hungry out there in the world in society without about the thought of helping people. I was famous, well, famously, it's not very famous. I'm not very famous, but I was, I walked out of a, a fudger. You're a legend in my book. You're a legend in my book. And well, mine. My, my teachers, my teachers. I'll tell you a story. I was at a, uh, a fudger namaz at, at a local um, masjid, and I listened to the majlis. I prayed my salah, and then I helped to, to set up for the breakfast, and then they served the breakfast, and I walked out. And they all said, where are you going? Why are you not sitting down? eating, eating, eating. I said, how can I eat? Like, I'm going to central London to go and feed the homeless with a Christian group. Like, why are you sitting there eating oily food this time in the morning and stuffing your face over and over again? You should be coming out there and doing what that Halabayt would do. Is that not what we're taught? And I was, I was very much looked down upon for that action. I, I stand up, I stand with a lot of charitable organizations and unfortunately, Majority of the times they're not people from our faith group. Um, they're from other faith groups. And I know that people went to Greece and they're helping people come out from the boats, fleeing war-torn countries. And it's not Shia Imam Ali that are standing next to them. It's blonde-haired, blue-eyed Christian people or people from other faiths that are helping. We need to be more practical. So anybody, I urge anybody that's listening or watching this podcast, let's unite, let's stand up Let's reenact what the Ahlul Bayt teach us. They teach us to be true humanitarians, to stand up for injustice in whatever form. Don't just make it because Black Lives Matter is a hot topic. No, do your research. Know what you are standing up for. These are human beings. We are all human beings. There is no word. Race is a made up word. Anyway, Sheikh Jafar they gave a great lecture the other day on that specific word in itself. We, there is only one race in this world and that's the human race and there is only one creation and that's everything around you and that's God's creation from the plants to the animals to the insects to, to the human beings. You want me asking, do you find that because the community takes time out day after day, week after week to come to the Masjid, the Husseiniyah, there's so many different programs that people have to take time out for. So by the time they get ready, they come to the mosque, they find their parking, they come back, it's three, four hours. Mm. People feel like their activism or their participation towards society, they're doing it. It's not like they're not they're sitting on their backsides doing nothing. They're like, look, how much more time do you want me to give? I come to the mosque, I come for Jum'ah, I come for this program. You know, now I have to, how much time do I have spare to be able to do the kind of stuff that you're talking about? Do you feel that people have a, an excuse here? Do you not? that people can say well I'm coming to the mosque this is my four hours in a day that I'm giving 
Well, we could start by looking at the, the centers. We could start by looking at the federations. We could possibly get encouragement from our, um, our mosques and our programs that are coming along to go towards more activist, activism and to do more in, in society. We have this phrase at work, we like to find our work-life balance, right? We don't like to work too much and we like that home balance. So why can't we find that balance within our religion? Surely the Ahlubayt found that balance, did they not? Did they not earn their halal risk? And did they not go out and feed the poor? You know, famously, and you guys will be able to quote it better than me, how many days did the, the, the house of Ibn Fatima salam, door knock after they fasted? Was it three days? And they gave away their food, they gave away their food. Did Bibi not give away her dress on her wedding night? You know, do people listen? Do they listen? Do they take in, digest, or they just listen and go home, wait for the chai, wait for the mandazi, and then go? It's about being, it's about being more practical. If we come together and understand what the Prophet, peace be upon him, what Imam is saying, universal values were about uniting people together, no matter what skin color you are, what skin tone you are, no matter what ability or disability you have, come together to be more practical and more humanitarian society, we will be able to, we will be able to change a lot of things going on in the world. How can we even sleep at night when there's over 150 million orphans in the world, where there's over a billion people in the world that don't have access to clean water, where there's countless, countless, when you, you know Yemen is, 80% of Yemen's going to starve. It could potentially be wiped off the planet. Lebanon right now is suffering. Is, is there not, her, uh, and I'm looking at Sheikh Jaffa now, is there not her, a hadith that I've heard you quoting, that if you wake up in the morning and you do not um, look at what's going on in the Muslim world, you can't count yourself as a Muslim. And please correct me if I'm wrong. So we hear that. We hear this coming in. Maybe I'm fresher ears. Maybe people have been going to see and listen to these programs for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. They take it all in and maybe they do a little bit. They give their support, they, they give their money. But what is better than dirty in the hands? One day your hands and your limbs will be tied. You'll be tied and your limbs will answer for you. They will speak for you. Your mouth will be tied. Is that not in one of the surahs? Surah Yasin, I think. So why not make these limbs do work? Do the work of... of what you're guided to do sorry i ranted on a bit i'm very no, passionate I, if, if, if you don't mind i'm just going to sort of uh sort of elaborate on that point and sort of perhaps as a as a as a, as a reminder to myself and as a self-reflection because i think that your words are really coming from your heart and sincere and for those of you first time getting a chance to speak or listen to him brother neil you know again he exudes this sincerity and this angelic prophetic work um I don't mean prophetic in the theological way. You know what I mean, prophetic in the, um, in the mannerism and the value. Um, and again, sort of as a self-reminder to, you know, to me that if you pray, Jeff Shaffer, to your point, you know, we, many people, including myself, would make the excuse that, but I recited Dua Kumail and I did this and I did that and I've fulfilled all my religious responsibilities. I think that when you take a look at our tradition and the beauty that exudes from our tradition, from the messenger and the Quran and the family of the messenger, peace and blessings be upon all of them, is that if that worship internally or like 
like we said before, vertically between man and God is strong. And if it does not translate toward the horizontal, um, then we're doing the vertical wrong. If my worship and my obedience and my prayers and my fast and my ritual, religiously, spiritually, is not translating into allowing for me to be doing the meaningful work that this world needs, then I am doing that worship wrong. Um, when you pray, when you go for hajj, and when you fast during the month of Ramadan, we have all of these ahadith that tell us as well, you know, that amongst the wisdoms, maybe not the only wisdom, but amongst the wisdoms of why we fast is so that you feel the pangs of hunger that those who don't have food feel, right? Then when you go for hajj, you see this universal or this universality and this diversity of those who are performing tawaf around the Kaaba and praying to your right and to your left if you do not think or care about those who are around you and see their style of living, if it's not translating when you go back home, you're doing the worship wrong. If you sit in the majlis of Hussein and you weep for Imam Hussein and you beat your chest and you serve food or you make food or you recite poetry or you weep over whatever it is that you do ritualistically to connect with Imam Hussein, may Allah bless you. But if that is not something that translates into being Husseini in the meaning of it that someone like Neil is representing and embodying, then we are doing it wrong. And I'm talking to myself before anyone else. This is not to attack anyone. This is a self-reflection for myself. And I think that we really need to think and we really need to take a look at the big picture. Someone's going to always argue, but what are you talking about? Do you know the reward for the one who sheds a tear? Yes, I know that reward. And I know the hadith. And I know it. And I know it backwards and I know it forwards and I know it every other way. At the end of the day, we do not work for God for reward, for reward. If we are worshiping God that way, our understanding of how we worship God is not in the understanding that the Prophet and Ahl Bayt worshiped God. We have to live and embody our life toward reaching the state of utter and absolute perfection. I can get all the rewards that I want, but when God asks me that question, why did you not support the most vulnerable in your communities? that embarrassment that I'm going to feel on the day of judgment, standing in front of my creator when he says that there are women in your communities being domestically abused, why were you not supporting them? That there were people in your community who did not have enough money to be transported to come to your majlis. Last year, the, there was a brother who reached out to me, he's a convert, and he told me that uh, I love to come to your majlis. This is during Muharram. He sent me an email. And he said, but I don't have enough money for the Metro card fare, costs $2.75 to come from the Bronx to Manhattan. For those of you who are familiar with sort of the dynamics of New York City, I do not have enough money to come to the measures. And at the same time, we're feeding these lavish, nice, really comfortable meals, and everyone's going back to their you know, homes and looking at their 401ks and you know, their retirement plans and whatever is equivalent in the UK, I don't know. You guys get what I'm saying? That's a problem that we're living that type of life then. Or at the very least, we're not giving out of ourselves a little bit more. So we need to take individual responsibility firstly. And then at the same time, once we've submitted to our individual faults, then communally we can work together to allow for the societal change, understanding again that, if we're not, that, that, that this is the work that's required to truly you know, draw ourselves closer to our creator and to fulfill our responsibilities as human beings. What Sheikh Fayal says is uh, phenomenal. And it, you know, there's an eye of the Quran um, you all know better than me in Surah Al-An'am, verse 162, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Qul, say, Inna salati wa nusuki 
وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ And Shaykh Fiyal said, you know, if you're praying, but that's where you think your ibadah ends, or you come to the Husayniyyah and you recite the Dua Kumail, and that's where you think your service ends, or you shed a tear and you think that's where it ends, I, I say openly, clearly, so that no one can misunderstand my words, you are sincerely mistaken, sadly. And this verse is telling us that. Qul, say it. You know, when Allah says Qul in the Quran, what he actually is telling you is, you know, don't just say it. You have to believe it. This is, this is something that, that has to come from within here before it can come here, right? Qul, say it. Be proud of it. Be aware of this. Inna salati, my prayer. So this is the act of ibadah. Wa nusuki. And all of my acts of living, وَمَحْيَايَ My whole life, وَمَمَاتِي And my death has to be لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ For the Lord of the universe. So all of these elements of life have to come together. And it's amazing the sequence, the siyaq of this verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts with the ibadat, you know, the salah, which is wajib. And then وَنُسُكِي so all of my daily acts of servitude and worship, it emanates from the back of that salah. To prove the salah has been correct, there has to be the service to mankind that comes off the back of that. Otherwise, there's no way the next part of the verse works. My whole life has been for Allah. And if my whole life has been for Allah, that's when my death also becomes for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Lillahi Rabbil Alameen. So again, bringing it back to Hussein ibn Ali, sallallahu alayhi, we focus, we focus on his death, which of course is the, the crescendo of his, of his life. But without focusing on his life, you can't really understand his death, right? As um, Neil was saying, look, in the darkness of the night, he's, he's, he's going three days hungry. He's giving up his food. He's giving it to someone else. That's the life. And as a result of Mahyaya, the way he lived, that's why he died the way in which he died. Wamamati. Lillahi Rabbil Alameen. All of it is for the sake of Allah. So it starts with the wajibat in Salati. That leads to the A'mal of the days that we do our work, our, our, the, the things that we give back to society, the horizontal, as we discussed, wa nusuki. That bleeds into life and it's in. Entirety, wa mahiyaya, wa mamati lillahi rabbil That I hope kind of reflects what Sheikh Fiyaz was saying. Sheikh, but we have so few, like we have so few who embody religiosity in that utmost sense, mahiyaya wa mamati, like that type of practical religiosity is a rare thing. And it's sad how rare it is. I'm just going to, I mean, we'll just jump in really quickly and say that sometimes um, there are people who embody it, but we don't see it all the time. Mm. So, you know, oftentimes we, we, we only look to the apparent, but in the depths, there are people who certainly, certainly we need to do a lot more, don't get me wrong. But um, sometimes there are people around you who you don't kind of really understand or know um, that diligence that they have truly in being that serv servant or that caretaker of society um, sort of even in their own again a lot of times when we set these incredibly massive goals that okay I'm gonna end home I, I, I often give this example in, you know in my community um, my goal is to end homelessness in New York City let's just say 
I have this, I have this idea, I have this notion, I have this belief. Great. If I have that as one individual, we set this really great goal. And when we realize very quickly that it's going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible for me as one individual to end homelessness in New York City with 8 million plus people in this great city of mine, what you're going to do is you're just going to start deprecating and be like, oh, get that. Why would I try that? Let me just forget about it. No, what you want to do is you want to start setting like very realistic goals. And I know Neil can probably point to this better, um, better than I can at least, that you take the small steps to be the difference maker. You don't necessarily need to draw and start, you know, how am I going to become humanitarian Nobel Peace Prize winner tomorrow? It's not about that anyway. How can I fix the issues in my home? How can I fix the issues that in my direct community, then in my city, and then in my region, and then sort of more on a broader level. And don't think that that little bit of work is, you know, not worthy. It's very meaningful, you know, um, and you're going to see the meaning sort of manifest in front of you by just doing the deed and doing the service. You know, if we're talking about the eradication of poverty or racism or injustices all across the board, and if we see that if I did not fulfill it, then I've not been successful, then someone would say, how can we still see injustices and we see all of the oppression that we see after Karbara, after Imam Hussein? Does that mean Imam Hussein failed? No one in this room, virtual room, and no one listening who knows Imam Hussein would ever dare say such words because they would be, you know, it's blasphemous to say something like that. Because it's not about allowing for the objective or the goal to be materialized. The objective and the goal is to strive in the way, right? In the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in a sincere way. That is the goal, right? Um, that is the goal that we're seeking. The means, even if they're small, even if they're incremental steps, that is still reaching the ultimate goal, which is drawing us closer to the Creator. Make sense? Does that make sense to you? 100%. No, I agree with you. And I agree with you, you know, heart held. There's so many people out there in our faith that are doing good work and I, I, I you know I may have been a bit harsh in what I'm saying but I think no. we do more of us need to do it and the people yes behind the scenes are doing some fantastic phenomenal work and they're not in front of the screen like me I love the sound of my own voice I have the ability to talk and to try to encourage people as part of my profession and what I do so I see it as a platform so I can encourage others but please don't was, take it that way. I wasn't. Uh, I no, wasn't no. Honestly, Habibi, please. I'm not taking it that way, but I just want to make people that are listening, they know that there are people doing great work out there. And I just want to echo your point. In terms of setting realistic goals, that's, that's the right attitude to have. If you can go out there, and I say this quite a lot to the groups that volunteer with me, go out there knowing that you are not going to change the world, but you can change the world for somebody. You have the ability to change the world for one or two people today. In the two hours that I'm going to go out there, I'm going to stand in the rain and give people food and give them somewhere to talk to and a hot cup of tea. I will change that person's world. I'll make them smile and make them feel like a human being. But am I going to be able to eradicate homelessness? Am I going to be able to stop people from being orphaned? Am I going to be able to give people, everyone in the world, clean water? No, I'm not. But what I can do is spend a few hours raising money for a water charity, make people aware of what's going on and the plights of the orphans around the world, or even go and help one of my neighbors who's maybe elderly and can't do their shopping and cut their grass for them. It's just about 
knowing what you can do and where you can help. Um, Sheikh and as both of you, there is a verse in the Quran and I cannot remember it and it's about something along the lines of um, being good towards your parents, the wayfarer, the neighbor close to you and the neighbor far away from you. I, I, I can't remember the whole verse, but to me, that's a very big instruction. Do, do you guys know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the jari al-qurba wa jari al-junub, right? The, the one who is neighbor who is close and the one who is further away. That's the one. That's the one, yes. So when, again, I, and I reliterate what I was saying before, when I read the Quran, when I read um, a hadith, when I sit and listen to lectures, I take stuff away from all those about, yes, my wajibat, what I should be doing when I go on the hajj, when I go on ziyara, help looking around me, helping people around me, knowing the information that I know. Now, I studied black history. So I, one of the things that I really took upon within my life pre-Islam, I say pre-Islam, so I know a lot about it. With the black history movement, I took it upon myself with a show that I did when I started quoting people like Harriet Tubman, when I started quoting people like Claudia Colvert. People were saying to me, how do you know these people? Who are they? So I took it upon myself to use my social media channels to try and educate people because that's what we should try to do. Uplift, educate, inspire, and help people to be more humanitarian and live the values, the universal values of the Prophet and his family, peace be upon them all. Uh, this kind of call to arms is so important and we're coming towards the end of the discussion. So I want to put um, a kind of practical question to all of you, which is we've identified uh, the reasons why activism inspired by Imam Sometimes people, maybe they've not linked um, the majalis to the activism and they need to do this. And in other cases we've mentioned, people might be doing amazing humanitarian work, but not because of their religion. Similarly, people might be doing amazing worship, but it doesn't lead to activism. And that's a question of, of balance. In all of these cases, the listener will want to know how I practically use majalis and muharram and find projects which Imam al-Hussein would want me to be in. So bearing that in mind, to, to all of you, perhaps one by one, um, for the one listening, how do they get involved? What should their approach be when they want to live that Husseini life in the society? How should they be thinking? <laughs> Actually, Neil, why don't, Neil, why don't you go first? Because you mentioned the projects you're involved in, and then inshallah the shaykh can follow. When you choose what project to follow, how does Imam Hussein help you knowing what you want to be involved in okay so uh one good tip i can give the listeners the viewers look at what skills you have what can you do what do you do within your job what do you do within yourself what are you good at doing it might be that um you know i'm i'm not an academic me personally i'm not an academic at all but i could you give me a pile of bricks i can build you a wall you give me a lawnmower i'll cut your grass you can you can go out there and ask me about logistics and I can try to organize a food drive for you or I can be security for your for your whatever because I know my own skills and I know I'm an auditor as well so I can speak so look at your own skills what are you good at what can you give to society then look what's around you that what you can do so it may be that you 
are an accountant and you may be good with numbers and you may be good with in that particular field. So you could, you could approach a local charity, you can approach an organization that may be within your reach. It might be one of the larger charities or one of the smaller ones, one of the Islamic ones or non-Islamic ones, but they may have a role that you can actually go and work and fit in there and offer something of your services. And then within that, you'll be able to grow exponentially. Social media is a fantastic platform and used in the right way, it can actually do amazing things. Um, and I say in the right way because media is another topic that I can go on for another three, four hours about. Just everybody cut the plugs off your television, please, because it's lying to you through that channel. Tell lie vision. That's the word. Telling lies for your vision. Go to social, your social media. Look at what's going on in your local areas. There may be a charity that's happening locally. You may even be as very, as a very small act as giving blood. Why do I say giving blood? It's a very easy thing to do. You may not be able to do it medically, but do you know that until you get tested? Do you know that until you fill the format? You have to go that little bit of step. It takes roughly about 10, 15 minutes to do. And with that one piece of blood, one donation of blood will save what? Three adult lives, seven children's lives. Now in the UK, an apologist, uh, Sheikh Fayaz, but in the UK for the NHS Give Blood service, you give blood and three, four days later you get a text message to say your blood is being used in X hospital. Let me tell you the feeling that you get on that day when you are at work and it's feeling so down and so hard that you have just saved somebody's life is the best feeling you can ever have. Well, I, I'm telling you, the best feeling you can ever have. So there's so much you can do but start within yourself. Look at what you are good at, what your strength is, what your passion is, and then you can go from there, inshallah. Maulana, it's over to you. Neil, throw it to somebody. Ah, I'll go for They both got Jaffa in their name, so I'll go to Fayaz Jaffa. <laughs> Thank you. All, um, of that, all of that, huh? I would, say, I would say that number one, step number one, be to not deprecate, not beat yourself up. Because I think a lot of people, when they hear messaging, maybe like the way that we're delivering it might come off uh, harsh or aggressive, but I don't, I don't want people to feel that way. I don't think that we're, anyone is trying to say that your measureless in the last 20, 30 years that you've been attending is wasted, God forbid. No, or that your payers is worthless. No, that's not the intention. And if it came out that way, um, then, 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 then I apologize, at least on behalf of myself. And I'm sure on behalf of my my, my friends over here as well. Yes. Um, rather, it's something to realize that we don't only live for the prayer. We don't only live for the fast. We don't only, we like to say it. I will be live for the Majlis of Hussein. No, 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 it's a nice thing to say poetically, but that's not a reality. It's between reality uh, and life virtually. Um, but rather it's what is the outcome of all of that. So we live a life where we think about our education, we think about our career, and we think about our family, we think about our wealth, and we think about our insurances, and we think about our retirements. And all those things are important. No one is saying that you should not accumulate for yourself. No one is saying that you should not enjoy, you know, that work-life balance that Neil talked about. It's important. You need it, right? But at the end of the day, what is the little bit that I can do to also give out of myself? Uh, that's something 
that only you can decide, you as an individual, me as an individual. Uh, what can we do individually to give out of ourselves? You know, Allah says in the Quran, that you will never attain righteousness until you give out of that which you love the most. And if you go ahead and take a look at a lot of Mufassireen, what do people love more than in my American context, the face of Benjamin Franklin, who is on the face of the $100 bill, right? No one loves the dollar bill and wealth more than human beings. We're obsessed with it. Mm. And so I would argue that, you know, the way that, you know, things have changed in the world is, you know, Mufassireen or commentators of the Quran will often say, wealth, 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 wealth. Everyone loves wealth. Everyone loves wealth. It means to give out of your wealth. Things have also changed. You know, now we live in a world where more, perhaps more valuable than our wealth is our time, is our convenience. So I'm not going to go and stand on a line to go buy my coffee. I'm going to order it online and then go pick it up, you know, or I'm not going to, you know, you know, go to the grocery store and walk through the aisles. Those groceries better get delivered to my front door and you're willing to pay for it. So give out of your, that which you love the most, give out of your convenience, give out of your time, give out of your comfort. Get out of that, you know, zone that you are in whereby you're always feeling good. You know, do something that's a little bit more challenging and difficult, but in a way of service. And what you're going to find is that there's a lot more beauty that comes back. You know, everyone likes to receive a gift. You go and you give a gift, uh, uh, or sorry, you, you know, you receive a gift from your friend, from your parents, from your community, from anybody. You're really happy. It's your birthday. Somebody gives you a gift. Unless you believe birthdays are haram, then that's another discussion. Right? <laughs> but we know what's a better feeling is that when I give a gift to my daughter and my daughter looks at me and says, thank you, Baba, I love you. That's a lot better feeling than me receiving anything. Because when you give and you see the happiness on someone else's, someone else's face, even though it required my wealth or for me to go out of my way to give to somebody else, there's a sense of contentment that enters into your heart, you know? When Imam Hussain, he gives on the day of Ashura, after everything and everyone that he gave, he said, Allahu Akbar, you know? Hawana ma nazara bi annahu When a six-month-old infant was struck in his hands, he says, it's okay. I'm comforted with the fact virtually that this was in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because you gave, or when he gave out of himself, and he gave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that was beautiful. So I would say that take those small steps. Number one, find the things like Neil mentioned that you think that you can offer to community, to society, to give out of yourself. But at the same time, don't say, oh my God, I wasted all of this. No, life is about a journey toward attaining utter and absolute perfection, be it in this world or in the next. And the process of life is that when you come toward realizations that I can walk in this way and I could take these steps, then you start taking them. And if today is that day, then inshallah make that intention. Ask God to help you, and by the blessing of the grandson of the Messenger of God, peace and blessings be upon him, inshallah, we'll be able to make those necessary strides. MashaAllah, beautiful. Sheikh Jafar, last words? Beautiful words both, um, from both of them. I don't know what to be able to suggest beyond what they have said. Um, as uh, Neil mentioned, that you have uh, different categories of things that you can serve, right? So... Uh, in, from a Quranic perspective, there are possibly at least 20 different social activities that someone can participate in, in uplifting different parts of the mustada'af community, the downtrodden parts of community. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in the verse that Neil was mentioning earlier, وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا 
وبذي القربة واليتامى والمساكيني والجاري ذي القربة والجاري جنوب صاحب so you know you can help the parents the relatives the orphans the needies the neighbors who are close the neighbors who are further afield the companions by your side the travelers so on or for example Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in another verse Surah At-Tawbah he talks about um, the fuqara the masakeen the amilina alayha those who work in the government to be able to bring people together there are slaves those people who are overburdened with debt you can assist those Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about in another ayah of helping those people who are forced into prostitution and slavery those who are forced into um, these horrid sexual acts of prostitution or slavery uh, you can help them. So the point is, as Neil says, that you might be inspired to help a particular group of people and where your inspiration lies, try to think about where you might be able to assist them. And of course, it goes back to what the brothers were talking about earlier on, that it's just the quality and not the quantity. You don't start off by saying, I'm going to end the entirety of homelessness. As Sheikh Fiyad mentioned, you want to be able to help one person in their life, change their circumstance. Right? The entirety of your amal is based on the quality of your niyyah. So this is one way of uh, approaching it. The, another way of approaching it is to understand that there are hierarchies, there are orders of urgent needs. And sometimes when we do see that there is a greater urgent need, we sometimes need to invest our time, invest our efforts into that. And that's what Sheikh Fayaz was talking about just before me. The greatest commodity that we have is not money. We often think, and I, I say this about myself, that when someone comes and says they need my help, that I write them a check. And I say, here's a hundred pounds donation and I've done my job. Actually, as Sheikh Fayyad says, that the greatest commodity you can actually spend on someone is your time. It might be an hour, it might be 10 hours. But if you're able to then say, I realize that the greatest urgency in the world or in the community or in the society is X, then you try to invest your time and services in those particular areas. So for example, right now, we see Beirut is an urgent need. Yemen is an urgent need. So again, one other way of trying to think about where you put your Husseini spirit, the fire that burns for Imam al-Husseini in your heart, you might want to divide it into these particular ways. There's a number of ways, but whatever the brothers have said before me, that, that's, the, you know, that's the actual starting points that we agree with. MashaAllah, thank you so much, Desha. And we pray that they listen, inshaAllah. Um, I guess ending in a salat ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa ajal farajam. And with those very practical tips, we have a framework for operating in our society today. Imam al Hussein is a resource to understand how to use godliness and taqwa as the basis for the stances we take. It's a very beautiful methodology and we must thank our dear scholars for, for setting it out. Um, and it all goes back to that seminal quote of Abu Abdullah that I am not setting up for any mischief or any, any uh, reason other than to reform the Ummah of my grandfather Rasulullah. And with that, we wish all our listeners that in your social life and in your efforts to, to implement Abu Abdullah's mission in, in your approach to issues, um, bear in mind the link between the sacredness and the divinity and the activism, inshallah. 
so that we can aspire to live a life which is Husseini and the death which is Husseini. Okay, thank you so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.